a church that loves to sing and to worship. Praise God for that. I was told I have 10 minutes this morning. <clears throat> one week, one week, one week from today, and we are gathered together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That means that today is Palm Sunday. Would you stand with me, please, for the reading of God's Word this morning from Matthew chapter 21 as we read and remind ourselves the commencement events of Passion Week this week. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the, f- the fall of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. And they brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna! to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we come before you and we Thank you so much that you fulfill to the tiniest detail your perfect word and prophecy. Father, we thank you for this day that we celebrate your entering the city of Jerusalem, riding on a donkey, a young donkey. And yet we thank you, Lord, that in that humility, you fulfilled a promise to us and you, Lord, ultimately fulfilled the greatest gift it was necessary for our salvation by offering your son Jesus on the cross. And we thank you for that. We thank you, Lord, for this week. I would pray, Lord, as we move through this week, that we would go ever so carefully and slowly, remembering what you have done and who you are. Bless us now as your children. Open our eyes and ears to hear and to learn from you, and that you would be glorified in this time. We ask this. In Christ's name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Our text this morning, we are back in 1 Peter, um, is a brief text. We'll introduce chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. Our text will be verses 1, 2, and 3. You can follow along as I read this morning. God's word speaks to our hearts with this. So put away, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy 
and all slander like newborn infants. Long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. The main idea of our text is very clearly stated in just six words that come from verse 2. Here's the six words that state the main idea of our text this morning. Long for the pure spiritual milk. Long for the pure spiritual milk. The author we know is the Apostle Peter. He is creating for us a word picture. We learn through these word pictures so that we can identify with and ultimately learn from. It is a picture that is very, very easily understood by every single person at some level. Here's the picture that is created for us. Like little babies hungering for milk, we as followers of Christ should be as equally hungry for the Word of God. It's a pretty clear, vivid, and to be perfectly honest, a very loud word picture for us all. Let me put this as simply as I can this morning because there's some responsibility that is on your shoulders. As you receive the Word of God, as I receive the Word of God, even preaching and teaching it to you, the thing that I want you to get from this morning's message more than anything else, is that over these next few moments, you and I need to examine our own hearts. Look closely at our own hearts and the level of your craving for the Word of God. That's what we want to accomplish this morning. Examine your hearts and you look for how much you crave the Word of God because Everything flows out of that. Absolutely everything flows from that. Yet there's a problem that exists. There's some tension that is drawn from this text because there are other things in our world, in our day, in our lives. There are lesser things. There are worldly things and fleshly things and sinful things that distract our attention, that disrupt and disturb our spiritual growth. A woman by the name of Nancy Tischler, a Christian author and professor, said it very well, and I quote, Rather than baby's milk, too many Christians settle for cotton candy or angel food cake when they should be seeking to understand suffering and God's mercy. You see, that's really what's happening in many people's lives is that rather than hungering for the pure milk of this, the spiritual, what, place of our strength, we are eating a steady diet, forgive me for being crass or crude, of junk food that this world has to offer us. Simply put from our text this morning, we have to trust God. Trust God to get rid of some of the unholy things in our life in order to pursue the holy things 
that need to be in our life. Or as I call it from our text, trash the trash and pursue the pure word of God. Peter begins with a word of logical conclusion. So, some translations use the word therefore. It's a connector. It draws us back to the attention of the previous text, previous truth. We know we don't have the time to review everything. All of chapter 2, God can take someone like Peter, vacillating, unstable, and turn him into a rock, proclaiming God's redemptive truth. You better believe it. There's hope for you and I. We see from this message that Peter gives to us, salvation is all about God. He elects us, sanctifies us. He causes us to be born again. He offers us inheritance that is kept in heaven. God calls us to live holy because He is holy. Last week we saw about the Word of God is is incorruptible seed that allows us to be born again. As a result of that, we desire to be obedient to the truth. We want to show love to others. Now we pick up this text. So... Put away. Some translations use the word the NIV says, rid yourselves. The New American Standard says, putting aside. The paraphrase, the message says, I love this. Clean house. It's springtime. You know it's going to be happening. Clean house. A clear, obvious indicator of what the author's intent is. There are things that are presently, at this very moment, mark the date and time in your life, You need to get rid of. You need to get rid of. That's what this text is saying. For two years, my last two years working through college, well, you will do anything to earn money as long as it's not immoral or illegal. I worked as a trash man for two years. And to tell you the truth, I gained a lot of respect for trash men. That's hard work. There's parts of that job that, in all honesty, are rather unpleasant. I would probably say kind of smelly. But I also learned how important that job is. And whether or not it's what the old broken stuff that kind of collects dust, that just kind of remains in your, and you've got to get rid of that, whether or not it's the, the, the everyday household garbage, the coffee grounds and the eggshells, everything in our lives, needs to be what? Gone through, sifted, and we find that which is no good, of no value, and we've got to get rid of it. I remember preaching a message on this very text years ago. I called it the glorious blessings of trash day. There's something that's so refreshing. I feel so good when we get to throw stuff out. We feel clean as a result of that. This is what Peter is doing for us. This is what Peter is drawing for us. Now, we know ultimately that when we offer our lives to Christ, that we are new creatures in Christ. However, we are still, what, within the confines of a fallen nature. Our souls in and of ourselves are still, hearts are still deprived and sinful. We live in a sin-filled world. And so we have to regularly examine and go through and toss out. And so what I say first and foremost is that we have to put away the impure, number one. And what is that? It begins with this word, all malice. It's not really a term that we use a lot of today. Uh, however, it's, it's, what, it's part of a, a root word that we hear of, and that is maliciousness, same idea. 
The word malice is defined by Webster's as the desire to harm others, ill will, intent to commit an unlawful act or injure someone without cause. Um, it, it's the Greek word kakion, and it really develops with this idea of evil of all kinds. Now, our immediate response is evil. Well, we're not evil. Evil is what? Evil is a guy who locks the the captain out of the cabin and flies a plane into a mountain killing 150 people. That's what our understanding of evil is. What's, what's with that? Evil is the terrorist, the crack dealer, or the pedophile. That's evil. And then there's you and I who sit in church. Wait a minute. This, this text is actually addressed to you and I, to believers, to the church. Truth of the matter is, we have this tendency to think that, well, there's, there's degrees of evil, and we're really not as bad as someone else. That's just a lie from the pit of hell. Evil is sin, and sin is evil. All have sinned, and all fall short of God's glory. The wages of sin is death. Yet somehow we, we, we have this idea, mute it, through Satan's whisper that says, well, you're not as bad as the guy that you read about in the newspaper. And yet that's, that's not the truth. The truth is, is that we actually have malice, maliciousness, deep in our own hearts, deep in our own hearts. And we are told to rid ourselves of that. Why? Because we are all condemned. In our hearts, we are all guilty, we are all sinful, we are all doomed. I love how the word says in John chapter 3 and verse 18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. And so there's our hope. There's our only exit through Christ. The idea is as well is that you can't just put this off one time and and be done with it. The word put away here is actually, it's referred to as the present tense. It it could read putting away. We are constantly and continually to be putting something away. Why? Because you can't throw it out one time and never deal with it again. Who takes the garbage out on Thursday and that's it, I'm good for the rest of the year? It just doesn't work like that. You gotta take the garbage out to the garage the very next day. You gotta take the what? You gotta take the garage garbage out to the curb on the next week. It continually builds up. So we need to continually be going before the Lord's. David said what in Psalm 51? My sin is ever before me. And that's David. A man after God's own heart said, My sin is ever before God. The Apostle Paul said what? He called himself the chief the biggest of all sinners. The things that I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. And that's the Apostle Paul. We understand this idea that there is a daily responsibility. People are stuck in addictive habits or destructive behavior and they come to me and they say, what do I do about this? I tell them the exact same thing that I tell myself. You go to the Lord today, this moment, and you give it to the Lord. Say, God, I confess this before you. This is yours. Take it from me. Tomorrow when you get up, do exactly the same thing. The next day, do the same thing. The next day, do the same thing. That's what I have to do every single day. Psalm 86 says, O Lord, I cry unto you daily. Isaiah chapter 58 says, They seek me daily and they delight in my ways. 
Luke chapter 9, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross when daily and follow me. Sin left undealt with in our lives is damaging and destructive, dangerous. Get rid of malice. Secondly, get rid of all deceits. Deceit is deception. It's dishonesty. It's trickery. It's a sham, a scam, a ruse. Peter says Christians are to have no parts. There's no need for us in any way to be deceitful. Deceit is dangerous and it hurts other people. The idea of deceit oftentimes is manifested in our lives when we are alone, when no one knows what we're doing, when no one sees what we're doing. That's where the problem of deceit exists and arises. You're in a parking lot late at night. It's dark and no one's around and you're in a rush to get home and you back up and bang into a nice shiny car next to you and there's no one around. No one saw anything. What do you do in that setting? I actually heard someone, true story, that, that did that, but there were other people around. And so we got it actually backed into a Porsche, a beautiful Porsche, slammed right into the side. He got out, and with a, a pen and a piece of paper, he's writing a note. That's what you're supposed to do when no one's around. You put it under. And he said this. He goes, people are watching me write a note right now, thinking I'm leaving you my name and my number, and I'm not. Put it under the windshield and drove away. That, that, that actually, that actually, that's what we're capable of in our own hearts. We, we got to trash the trash. We have to examine what it is and who we are when no one's looking and say, Lord, I am yours. Take this, take this from me. Put away all hypocrisies. This is being fake. Wow, wow. The church of Jesus Christ instructed to not be fake? Is that, is that necessary for today? I, I heard this week alone, this week alone, three different conversations people admit it. You know what? We have a tendency to put a mask up and not let anyone really see what's happening inside our own lives and hearts and hopes. Three times in one week, the exact same phrase. We have a tendency to just kind of put a, put a mask up. That's what the word hypocrisy, hypo, hypocrite, comes from. It's, it's playing a part. We want to come to church and we want to be super uber spiritual. And then we leave and we do whatever we want. That's the greatest problem that exists in the church today. John R.W. Stott says this, hypocrisy is hideous. Hypocrisy is hideous. What cancer is to the body, hypocrisy is to the church. It is a killing agent. What he says is this. Unfortunately, hypocrisy is also addictive. Even though Jesus reserved his most severe words of condemnation for the hypocrite, we still seem to prefer that lifestyle to truth and authenticity. If Bigwood's Bible Church advances in our community for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it will only advance if we are going to be real. 
transparent and authentic. When we blow it, we bring a brother or sister alongside, we go to the Lord in prayer and say, I blew it. I stumbled and I fell and I'm struggling and I need your help. That's how God has designed us to move forward. We have got to be real with one another. We put away and keep putting away the tendency to be phony or fake or a fraud. Put away hypocrisies. Fourth, put away envy. I've heard of envy. I always think of Boston. I don't know why. Forgive me. Because they refer to envy as the ugly green monster. Remember the, the green monster in left field in Fenway? Some of you? No. Angelin. Envy is the ugly green monster that roams free, literally, literally, and I'm not exaggerating with this, destroying our society. I want what you have. Our entire, our entire marketing system is based on if I could only have what my neighbor has. Don't ever, don't ever feel that you are going to be free from this. There is a tendency inside of all of us. One of the basic commandments, what? Thou shalt not covet. And oftentimes it's more than the tangible. That's a part of it. I wish I had, well, my, my, my neighbor has a beautiful boat. My neighbor has a beautiful car. It's not, it, it is that it's sometimes, it's even the intangibles. You ever find yourself saying, I, I wish I could sing like, like this, this group that sang up here earlier. I, I, wish I, could, I wish I could teach like that person. Perhaps it's the intangibles, even opportunities. Why, why did they get to be born in that family? And I have to be born in this family. Envy has got to be dealt with. It has to be put away. We examine our hearts We examine our hearts and we see where that exists. We say, Lord, take this away. Fifthly and finally for this list, end all slander. This is evil speaking. It has to do with outright defamation of one's character. This means that your self-interest becomes so big that you're more concerned about your well-being than you are for someone else's well-being. And when you are concerned more about your well-being than someone else's, inevitably it ends with this, what? This miserable, malicious action of slandering one another. God's Word says that we are to guard our hearts from participating against that. I love how Paul's instruction is in Colossians 4. Let your speech be always seasoned with grace. What's interesting is that I find myself seasoning my speech with grace when I want to, as opposed to what? All of my speech is to be seasoned with grace, a theme that I have struck and prayed for, have overarching for our body of believers right now, is patience and grace with one another. Let me tell you from personal experience, it is hard. Nothing, nothing, nothing seems more natural than when someone hurls an insult or attack at me. It's natural to what? Just hurl that back. Slap me once, I'll slap you twice. Hit me, I'll hit you hard. There is a natural tendency in our own hearts 
And how wrong, how evil, how far is that? We have this idea of throwing it away, trash the trash, all the way through Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 18, cast away from, from you all the transgressions that you have committed. Romans 13, verse 12, the day is at hand. Let us cast off the works of darkness. Put on the armor of light. Ephesians 4, having put away falsehood, let each of you speak truth. With his neighbor, Ephesians 4.31, let all bitterness and wrath and clamor and evil speaking be put away with. James 1, therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness. Here it is, the implanted words. We trash the trash. We put away the impure. And secondly, we pursue that which is pure. There's only one thing around here. It's not you and me. There's only one thing around here that we know that is absolute, pure, perfect. And it is the Word of God. Human nature is such that when we throw something out of our life, when we get rid of something out of our life, we have got to put something back in. We throw away all the malice, all the slander. We throw away all the deceit and all the hypocrisy. Now there's this big, gaping void. We have got to put something back in there. And this is what we are to put in. Every single day we begin like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word that it may grow up in salvation. Now, babies don't understand entirely that they need, that they need milk in order to grow. All babies know is what? They want it. And they want it now. Big Woods has been blessed and is blessed. And I heard that there's more babies on the way. Praise God for that. And everyone's taking turns, caring for, watching out for. And there's this one constant theme with babies. When it's like crying, when he or she, not it, sorry, He or she is crying, screaming. There's really nothing you can do. You got to get them to mama. They're hungry. They don't realize. They don't realize that growth is is what they're 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 taking in. That's what it's for. They just want it. Growth is a byproduct. Growth is a blessing of their desire to be filled. Go back to the very beginning of how we began this message, and I know I've gone very, very quickly. The most compelling thing, the most compelling thing that I can say to you in this morning's message is that you need to examine your hearts. Examine the level of craving. I think of, of Bobby Verholic was telling me on Friday morning and he was, he was laughing about Reed. Little Reed was so hungry, just screaming and, and everything stops. Until what? He, he, he gets this. Until he is nourished and he is fed. It's that type of craving that we need to have. Everything flows from that. Do do you wake up in the morning that hungry for this? I can't do anything else. I want this. I'm starving for this. Do you end each day? Do you talk about this throughout the course of the day? 
I, I have come to realize that, that, that I, don't miss, I don't miss a lot of meals on a regular basis. We are so blessed with wealth. And we're so blessed in opulence and the provision. And, and I don't miss meals, but I can miss what time in the words. And I can go hours and hours and hours before I realize, wait, I miss something. I realize that God's word is living breathing, it's alive, that our lives literally adjust. I honestly believe, I know this sounds really weird, I honestly believe trees and flowers and the sky looks bluer, sounds are more precious and sweet, conversations and company with others is more precious. My fellowship and walk with the Lord is more endearing when I'm in this book. When I'm not in this book, I'm just a gross, horrible, miserable person to be around. It's that important. You need to examine your own hearts. Very quickly, in closing, David Jeremiah writes some great instruction on the significance of the Word of God. We'll race through this and we'll finish up. Number one, every day, read the Word obediently. We are instructed. We're instructed to start our day and to finish our day. We saw last week, you write it on the walls of your house, write it on your all over the place. You talk about it. Read the word obediently. Second, talk about the word constantly. It is so, so evident when you spend time with people what they're focusing on. If all they want to talk about is sports or video games, all they want to talk about the pressures of this or the worries of this, and there's never any mention, then then you know it doesn't exist. It's obvious. We read the word obediently. We talk about the word constantly. Number three, we meditate on the word continually. I take small portions. I don't read chapters and chapters and chapters at a time. My mind can't handle that. I take small portions, three, four, five, six verses at a time. And that's it for all day long. Meditate. Let it just just soak and pour over you. Number four, follow the word exclusively. A lot of people are seeking for counsel and and wisdom. What do I do here? How do I handle this? How should I respond? Should I take this or should I not take this? Should I go here, not go here? God's word has all of that for you. Spirit's not going to what? Confuse you? Dangle something? Should I or should not? You hug to this words. It is a light for your feet and a lamp for your path. Fifthly and finally, accept the word totally. That's the hard part. For some reason, a lot of churches, a lot of Christians are doing that today. We like this part. We'll take this. God is love. No doubt about it. But we'll just toss the part about the fact that God is also just. We love the dialogue and talk about heaven. Let's talk about that. We don't want to talk about hell. No, we have to accept it all challenge for you this morning from the Word of God to examine your heart to see how much you are craving, longing for, and hungering for the Word of God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. God, give to us and instill in us a greater hunger than ever before for your Word. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much, Tim.